This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Sportsbook. We have spent the vast majority of recent weeks talking about football, talking about the NFL. Of course, there's been baseball as we record this. My Red Sox have just won game one. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm loving it. (laughs) Uh, And our guest today, we are shifting gears to a sport that we have not discussed on this podcast, maybe ever. The podcast has been going on about a year now. And the sport is lacrosse. My guest today, my friend, Paul Rabel. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. And I think part of what we're going to discuss are ways that we can have this conversation more often because I think for a number of reasons, it hasn't been important enough or or it doesn't drive listenership to this forum or or eyeballs on on the one that we were just on television. Uh, And so you have to take massive action to, to bring that to life for a growing fan base in our sport. Well, I have a feeling that a lot of our listeners are the right audience to hear about lacrosse because a lot of them are probably young and they are business savvy and they work in finance. They check Yahoo Finance. And uh, let's start with that. You know, we just came off our uh, Midday Movers live show and I asked you a little bit about the image of lacrosse as Northeastern, white, well-educated bros, you know, a lot of whom have landed on Wall Street Mm -hmm. and in banking jobs. And that's fine if that's the, you know, demographic, you play to that demographic, but also, you know, we want to expand lacrosse. I guess I'm also touching on, there's a a gap between how popular this sport is at the youth level. I believe the fastest growing or second fastest growing sport in America at the youth level. But then even people not being aware that there is a pro level. So how Correct. do you uh, expand the arms of the sport to more people? Exactly. So I'll, I'll, I'll hit the, f- the first part, which is stereotype in our sport. And when you look at any brand, like what's critical is that you're telling an authentic uh, story and you're getting behind the people that are involved. And at the professional level, we have incredible incredibly talented, skillful, diverse athletes that have dynamic personalities that have yet to uh, been taught or given opportunity to basically go run wild, like we see in the NFL or the NBA and and even MLS uh, to a degree. So athletes are the most important piece. They are the, the, the most valuable asset for any major sports league. What we don't often hear about lacrosse is its true roots. So you had mentioned uh, the second, I believe it's the, the fastest team sport uh, property that has been growing at a participatory level in the U.S. over the last 15 years. Um, but it's the oldest sport in North America. Hmm. So it, it's rich, root, rich history. Yeah. Rich So its roots are in, in Native American culture. They've they created the game. Johns Hopkins and Maryland rivalry has been around for over 110 years. So it's been sanctioned. Uh, across genders at the college level, we're seeing the growth being sanctioned at the high school level, east to west, and then participatory numbers we just discussed. But if you look at other sports and a lot of the, the major leagues that I just uh, announced or just had said, what, what allows them to exponentially grow is a strategic investment and operation in the professional game. And so what you get at the professional level, because you don't have to kind of dig through the nuance of the NCAA and college eligibility and all that that youth build up to that level, is that you can, for the first time, unlock the commercial viability of your players, distribute the broadcast across national television is what we've been able to anchor with NBC Sports Group and, and try to really not only invigorate your current fan base, but go after net new fans. And so we've deployed a strategy that we think can accomplish all of that. And uh, we feel like there's never been a better time uh, to be new 
and to and to launch this revolutionary tour based model um, with great branding back to my original point than now and that's because of the convergence of modern media and technology and kind of the startup costs going down because of efficiencies in technology and the ability for a sports fan to watch their favorite team from coast to coast or follow their favorite athlete from continent to continent. Your league, uh, the Premier Lacrosse League, PLL, starting up soon, uh, you've already signed a, a number of players. Yep. Tell me a little bit about how that works. Uh, are they not under contract with MLL? Uh, have you stopped playing yourself, or will you also play in the league that you are backing? Yep, so traditionally uh, the, the MLL has signed players to one-year deals, so it's constantly a, a one-year renewal process. So we've had that opportunity uh, to build something. You know, th this is uh, is something that I talked with on my podcast with Steve Nash at one point. He brought it up. Uh, this is about six months ago. He said, "Imagine if the forty best players in the NBA decided to just leave and go play in the Big Three, right? And and, and we're not building the Big Three. There's a tour-based <laughs> model, but the best players is what we have and what Steve was mentioning. It's something that the MLS is challenged with on a regular basis. Is they're not the highest viewed property." In North America, it goes to the Prem and La Liga and such. So having the best players in the world was critical. Um, and, and then part two for the Premier Lacrosse League is next is distribution. So we have that national television deal, an OTT deal with NBC, Sport, NBC Sports Group. And then how do we bring these games to life? So when you take a sport like lacrosse or other niche sports that have professional properties, you typically are city-based and you're in fewer than 10 markets. So when we looked at it, tried to be really practical and objective is, is you're actually ostracizing the lion's share of your audience because you're secluding yourself to, in MLL's case, nine markets only. Um, so a tour base you know, is essentially being able to bring the same principles of a team sports league where you have autonomous teams, full regular season, all-star playoffs and championship. In our sport, and for the lacrosse listeners out there, they know of the final four. It's a similar model. We're taking that a la NASCAR into multiple markets. So we're able to hit fans everywhere, draw on a premium experience with a premium venue at each location. We don't have to be kind of marred by um, low priority lease and scheduling conflicts across the country. Uh, so we're able to capitalize on all those and and uh, and then and then basically see as we grow and hit major milestones of other team sports properties that if revisiting to a city base works. Yeah, you mentioned NASCAR. While you were talking there, I was thinking also about Formula E, which I've written a little bit about. Yeah. Same kind of thing. It's uh, you know, it's it's uh, F1 car racing, but with electric cars, and they do it outdoors in cities, but it travels all over the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the first season they did like eight different cities. Uh, any other pro or even semi-pro sports properties or leagues that you looked at for influence as you set up the PLL? Absolutely. So we were talking a little bit about players, and uh, previously you mentioned the financial world as well and, and myself as i'm an entrepreneur and professional lacrosse player is that many of us uh, moonlight as professional lacrosse players because the average salary is so low uh previously is actually averaged out below uh the, the poverty line uh for the american workforce uh on a part-time basis so what we did with our players is give them for the first time full-time wages that included benefits and equity in the league because we're single entity based. So we looked at it much like a, a Silicon Valley technology startup would for their early stage employees, which our athletes are employees and builders and owners of this business. Um, so, so that was important and leagues that we looked at who did this were WSL and PBR. Mm. Those are individual sports that have an equity p 
pool at, for access to players, the WSL, and then the PBR was a breaking off of the best bull riders in the world from the establishment, each contributing a few grand and, and starting from scratch. So and WME IMG, uh, I think, bought PBR outright. That was a big deal, like a few years back. That's exactly made right. A lot more investments in, in sports leagues. That's exactly right. So so we look at individual sports as a model. We even look at WWE as a tour base, an ability to, through new media and traditional media, uh, captivate an audience on screen, but also make a really immersive uh, in-person experience. The NBA has done a great job of that lately. The NBA gets behind its athletes, allows them and encourages them to be activists and, and say what, what they care about and also provide them with resources to build out their social and, and educate them on, on certain areas. And so when we think about our athletes, we think about the NBA, WSL, PBR. When we think about events, we think about the NBA, WWE, UFC. And we've been fortunate enough to have conversations with a lot of those league owners and team owners. When you mentioned the NBA, and it has gotten credit for being, you know, supposedly a progressive league. Adam Silver, the commissioner, has gotten a lot of credit. The players are outspoken. They're encouraged to be outspoken. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, pro athletes and how they brand themselves. You said earlier uh, on our live show that, you know, you guys are really making it about the individual athletes. Uh, you're allowing the content to be open source. That's really big yeah. because especially with the NFL, I've written about this, the content is so locked down and what the teams can and can't do, they call it the in-game window. I mean, yeah. even the teams are only allowed, like, you know, five Instagram posts during a game. It's so rigid. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the NBA has had luck with being a little looser, and it sounds like you are doing that too. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, about, you know, letting the players access the content and what that will help do. But I'm also asking, a, I guess, a larger question about, you know, an abstract question about how athletes, you know, are expected to also be brands. And there was an interesting... Right sort of controversy that erupted in baseball this year where, you know, Commissioner Rob Manfred, someone basically said, the best player in your league, Mike Trout, is boring. Right. And Manfred was kind of like, right, that's true, and it's his fault. And so I've been asking everyone who comes in who's an athlete, like, well, is it on every pro yeah. athlete to, to that, be interesting I, and be yeah. a brand? Yeah, I, I didn't uh, necessarily agree with that response as related to Mike Trout. And uh, what I'll say, too, and we'll start there, is that what we're doing is investing in our athletes. Athletes like LeBron James and Cristiano Ronaldo continue to grow their followings, move from team to team or continent to continent in a way, and you're seeing the impact on team sales, jersey sales, following of club, following of athlete. So there's a ton of data to your point that shows how important and how prominent the athlete has become. That said, we, we believe and why it's premier lacrosse league is that we're building the league and we got to get the competition right. So each team, and there are six of them, will have some of the top names in the coaching industry in lacrosse. They're going to be driving and incentivized to win games. There's a full regular season. There's an all-star break that's incentivized for your top players throughout the midway point of the season. And there's playoffs and it all culminates in a championship. So for us, we're telling the story of our players. As Rich Antonello, who's the CEO of Complex, says, like, we're not getting into live rights bidding because one, we don't produce, but two, our belief is that people care about who the person is that had that game-winning shot, who the person is that had the come-from-behind victory, and, and allow the major networks to cover the games and we'll cover the stories, and both are aiding to the to total viewership and listenership. So we're, we're doing both, and we're working with folks like yourself and Complex and Barstool, and obviously I'd mentioned NBC. So the teams are really important. They're not anchored by a city, and that's because we're solving for certain inefficiencies for being a smaller sport. There's 6 million fans and 2 million participants. Can't really support 30-plus markets right now. 
Uh, but to back to the point around Mike Trout and the way that we're servicing some of our players and others who aren't interested in building brands, which is totally fine. Right. If you're Mike Trout or if you're Matt Cavanaugh, who was the last season's championship MVP, who's not as active as me on Instagram or Twitter, doesn't have his YouTube channel like I do, <laughs> but Matt Cavanaugh is going to get featured because he's the game MVP. And the same thing how Mike Trout gets featured. If you have the right production and programming, you don't have to, as an athlete, be doing it on your own. But there are a lot of athletes who do, and what we're doing is providing those resources to jumpstart those further, and that's building out original series with NBC and with other platforms, potentially. Reality shows. We're going to open source the content, as you, as you mentioned, which means our athletes, for the first time in a team sports league, will be able to pull content, will library stack it for them, whether it's video assets and highlights or image assets and then we'll even encourage and, and provide resources for copywriting is we know that social media is so powerful and we're putting our money where our mouth mouth is when it comes to that because a lot of leagues say hey we want to encourage we want to educate our players to build out their social presence but we're actually investing mm. yeah the the branding conversation is what makes not anchoring the teams to cities so interesting because when people talk about trout one retort a lot of people make is, well, it's because of the team he plays for. He's on the Angels. You know, if he were, if you take the same guy and put him in New York, maybe he'd be bigger. It's sort of like, <clears throat> well, maybe, but you know, then you take a guy like LeBron, and uh, you know, he's big no matter where he plays. Totally. I mean, there's some guys who are, I don't want to say bigger than their sport, but they are definitely bigger than the city where their team plays. It doesn't have to be a regional thing. Now, also, there's the fact that baseball is a very regional sport, but I still think it's true that you know there are. Guys who are the faces of the NBA, not just LeBron. There's Harden, there's Westbrook, you know, there's KD. And then there's, in the NFL, there are guys who are the faces of the NFL. You know, Brady, Rodgers, uh, Peyton when he was still playing. In baseball, you know, it's a, it's a conversation I love having, but who is the face of baseball right now? There are a couple guys who are stars in their city because it's a regional sport, but there's no real obvious, yep. you know, the, the star of MLB. Um, but, you know, in, in a way, in, the ML, in, in Major League Lacrosse, a lot of people would say, you know, you were the face of that league. Yep. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, the approach you, you took to, to branding yourself off the field. It's always hard because you want to be authentic, you want to grow your following, but you also don't want to bombard people and flood people and sure. look like you're just, you know, like... Like, I just read something about Dale Earnhardt Jr. last week, and, you know, Yahoo comments are always insane, but, but the reader comments in a lot of the cases were like, oh, all, yeah, it's all that matters is money and doing ads. Right. And, and w remember love of the sport, and I don't know, there are those yeah. people out there who are sort of yeah. like, well, just play your sport, and you're busy posting on Instagram. It's, it's a balance. They're, they're, those are traditionalists. You have even, like, a Laura Ingram that will ta tell an athlete to shut up and dribble. And, and so the, what, what I'll talk about with social media is that – uh, as an athlete to, to perform authentically, you have to understand your why, right? So, so what, what do you do? Who are you? And, and, and what's that story and how do we tell that story to your fan base? And the cadence of posting and stuff like that, that becomes your what. And your what is also your goals. Are you trying to grow an audience? Because there are hackers tips. There's SEO. There's SEM that we can do. Uh, so why and what's important? Uh, but when we talk about athletes and their brands that they build. And this, I believe, is synonymous in the industry, whether you know you talk about the major agencies, we said WMEIG, Octagon, CAA, uh, Wasserman, is that you have to be the best on the field first. And that can't be something that gets ignored. And that's when I believe your 
uh, potentially erosion might happen for athletes is if they're leaning heavily into social and their performance is being jeopardized as such. So you have to be, as an athlete, a performer first. When you talk about Mike Trout, talk about Bryce Harper, or, or in our case, and a lot of younger players and rookies that are now in the PLL and, and uh, you know, formerly I've, I've, I've helped uh, along the way and build out social media, is I tell them, like, here are some tips, here's how we can get going, but get in the gym. Right? Like mm. when, I, when I graduated from Johns Hopkins, it was in 2008, it's when, they, when Facebook launched their fan pages. That was pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter, uh, YouTube was just showing cat videos. And, and, and they unlocked an opportunity for a niche team sport athlete or a niche individual sport athlete to connect for the first time with a fan anywhere. And, and I tell that story because at that time, my content was so bland. Mm. All I would do is say, go to the gym, go to the gym, go to the gym. <laughs> but it was interesting because no one knew professional lacrosse players at the time went to the gym. Uh, so it was like your, your career went down a, a steep slope post-college lacrosse. So my point was, is like, hey, you got to train. And I was fortunate to have 10 years of, of playing at the highest level and continue and plan to do so. But that's got to be at the core of what you do. And, and so that's what I'll say about social media. And, and the last point around uh, some of the other athletes and, and the other sports that you had mentioned, when you have a viable professional body that has mass distribution, that is telling the story of its athletes and investing in content like we are, what you also then do is attract major endemic and non-endemic sponsors to help with that, mm. right? So if you talk about right, James Harden. Get these Harden, guys some endorsement deals, yeah. James Harden and LeBron James is also Adidas v. Nike. And, and like those sponsors are putting a lot of resources behind those athletes. So it's really a, a rising tide, lift all boats scenario. And, and what we get with the single entity model too for, for the business folks listening is that we can create a turnkey solution for a lot of sponsors that are non-endemic to lacrosse that look at it and says, well, lacrosse doesn't have the reach or the impressions of the NBA. We go, well, we also don't have as many cost layers. And we don't, and we, and we can give you access to our athletes so long as they have mutual opt-in. And like, this isn't something where you go through, you know, all of those league to team to player agents to player. Like, this is something where it's a package deal. And Drone Race League talks about doing that as well. And, and building branded content with their sponsors, we're going to be just as immersive in the strategy with our sponsors as we are with our players. To the point around the impact that we get with a Harden and LeBron. You know, you also have this, uh, you have your own podcast that I've watched from afar, you know, uh, Suiting Up or yeah. Suited Up. You know, you got the suit on. That's right. And uh, interviewing a lot of, you know, good names. Uh, you had Belichick on there. I thought that was a big score. He doesn't yep. do stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and some other athletes. Yeah. Um, We've had Venus Williams, Steve right. Nash. Steve we Nash, right. Recently had him. Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk. So we go across athletes and entrepreneurs. So uh, I guess I, I want to ask, when you think of yourself in five years, uh, are you the guy sitting behind a desk in a suit and the new players, you know, come on in, Rook, and they come into your office and you're <laughs> sitting back in a big leather chair and you're like, all right, here's the deal. Here's what we can do for you. We're going to cut yeah. a deal, get you in this league. Or are you still doing what you're doing? You're doing videos. You know, I'm in the gym. Here's my fitness. Yeah. I'm, now I'm training. You know, watch me. Uh, here's some, some drills. You know, you do some great videos that have drills for, for young kids. Uh, you know, what's the, uh, is Paul Rabel more of an executive or, a, or an athlete? Well, I, I think right now, my, and my brother who's not in the room, he's a co-founder and CEO. I'm, I'm co-founder and CSO of this business. Is uh, say, well, you're you're already an executive, so you need to continue to behave what, like one. Uh, I don't wear a suit. Um, <laughs> I, hopefully, in five years, I also won't be wearing a suit. There are times where it's mandated, and I'll certainly respect those guidelines. But 
Uh, you know, I, I like to use another analogy. Uh, a, a gentleman that I think uh, does a brilliant job with the property and balances of performance is Paul Levesque, Triple H at WWE. Um, you know, he's he's the he's the operator at, mm. at WWE, and he helped build. Uh, their platform NXT. He's built the training facilities. He continues to chip in on storylines with athletes, and then two, three times a year he wrestles. Now, obviously, we're not uh, we're not you know fixing the narratives of of what's going on. The competition is at its core, uh, and I'm playing this year, and I'm 32 and continue to to play so long as I can have an impact on the field uh, for my team. And, and so for five years, I think Dan like. That is right at the crux of the inflection point of like Paul probably making a decision on on hanging up the cleats. So I I, I don't know. I, I've um, obviously it's clear you mentioned my podcast. I, I don't uh, shy away from from communicating and, and having these types of conversations. I like to dig in, uh, but I, I think part of my maturation as an athlete and as a professional has been spending a lot of time in both sports and personal therapy and understanding on the sports side. A lot of athletes try and set a goal. I want to play till I'm 35. Mm. I want to play till I'm 40. Brady Tom Brady, 45. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that's the right strategy because you put a lot of pressure on yourself, A, there's so much out of our control, B, that can happen, and then C, the best athletes are able to perform in the present moment. So for me, year at a time, that may sound cliche, but I, I really feel that genuinely. What's funny, too, with pro lacrosse, it just hasn't been around long enough for us to even know what is – a record crazy age for a player to play until. Like I was, I was thinking about you and you were saying, oh, you know, five years is right around when I'll be making a decision. Well, we don't know. I mean, you would know better than I whether a guy still playing pro lacrosse at 40, is that like insane? Oh my God, unheard of? Or maybe it's a sport you can play. I mean, look at golf, you yeah, know? But, exactly. But it is so physical that, you know, I don't think anyone is going to be playing pro lacrosse at 50, even. So where, where do you draw the line? Okay. Yeah, so two of the best players to ever play the game, Casey Powell and John Grant Jr., both played when they were 40, but they're, uh, they're they're far more skillful than I am. I'm, I'm I rely more on my athleticism, and both of them are tremendous athletes. But I would say I'm I'm more of like a, a slasher, to use basketball analogy, than than a pure shooter, and uh, and maybe like someone with 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 great hands. And so they both possess kind of all three of those attributes. But to your point, there's there's not a lot of data around where professional lacrosse can be, and that's something that we're investing in is statistics and research and development, um, and we're going to be partnering with major third-party platforms that can bring those stories to life. Because if you have strong statistics, both on the field and fan statistics and business statistics, then you can build other meaningful categories that our sport needs to have to attract net new fans, which is fantasy sports and sports gambling. Let's end on this. Uh, very basic, easy one for you, but something that uh, occurred to me. You know, There are people who either played lacrosse in college or they had friends who played or they went to the games and they know lacrosse and they get it. For those who don't, uh, who many of our listeners, you know, they hear lacrosse and they oh, that's not a sport I care about. Uh, you are starting up a league. You know, you hope that people are going to come and watch. What's the pitch? What's the sell for why watching pro lacrosse is great? Yeah, so the first thing is that we have a partnership with NBC Sports Group and we're investing in the production. So the production value is going to be incredibly high on par with major sports leagues. And that's critical for an audience that is difficult to not only grab, retain and may not understand what they're seeing 100 percent. and so part two is that i'll just tell you a quick story is, is how i found lacrosse i grew up playing basketball and soccer i ran track and field i played all sports uh, pretty much and played rec sports and then i got to a place where i was playing aau ball and club soccer and both coaches at the time had asked me to go full-time sports specialized 
and I wanted to keep playing both. So I found lacrosse because my next door neighbor was playing and gave me his backup equipment. I fell in love with it inside of a year because it was a, a, a conjoining game of all of the characteristics that I, I loved of other sports, the contact of football, hand-eye coordination. We've talked about basketball, or, or um, sorry, baseball and, and the socks and, and hockey. Um, and then, you know, finesse of basketball and the pace of, of soccer, the endurance of soccer. And so it has all these great attributes as a sport. The, the, the part that really galvanizes a lacrosse player now when you're like, why are they so obsessed with the game is there's a stylistic component. There's an ownership component. We're not all using the same basketball, baseball, football, or soccer ball. Each of our sticks are unique. We string them in their own way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they come strong, and by the way the pocket forms based on your form, it's unique. And, and so you take ownership over your stick, and I think that's something that a lot of millennials and Gen Zs uh, get excited about is that sense of ownership and pride over, over what they do. It's like your talisman. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks, Paul. Great Thank chat. You. Okay, this was another episode of Yahoo Finance Sportsbook. We come out on Thursday mornings. You can follow along with Paul and watch his new lacrosse league launch. It's the PLL Premier Lacrosse League. Paul, what's your Twitter, by the way? Premier Lacrosse. Okay. Our Instagram is at PLL, and our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash PLL, and then our website is premierlacrosseleague.com. And your Twitter personally? At Paul Rabel. R-A-B-I-L plus Paul. That's the, right. The normal spelling. But appreciate that spelling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Yes, P A U L. <laughs> I often get uh, rabble or rabiel. Uh, so, wrong, which is wrong, fine. Wrong. Which is fine. Sure. So, rabel, R A B I L, but it sounds like table. So, don't confuse it. Should we spell it one more time? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> R A B I L. Yes. All right. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And we will keep coming out on Thursday mornings, uh, maybe soon, a few weeks from now, a few months from now. We'll hit lacrosse again. We'll see you then. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs>